Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Let me just pray for us and then we'll dive in. Your Lord, we thank you for this new year. We thank you, Lord, that we can you know, just come together, Lord. Enjoy fellowship together. Thank you, Lord, that you know, we have this privilege of, of getting together in your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross and this beautiful message from this morning, Lord, that it's your loving kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. I pray, Lord, that you will work in our hearts and lead us, Lord, to those things, Lord, that we need to repent of. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So, I don't know if all of you have seen the, the image that we sent out, but we are going to start with a new sermon series that consists out of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And they call them the pastoral epistles, um, the pastoral letters. And these three letters gives us a great overview of how to pastor well, how to lead well, how to love each other well, um, how to care well. Um, but we'll, you will be surprised what is it, what is, what, what's it actually saying. You know, we have this idea often of how to love well and how we think it should look like to pastor well. Um, but it's not often what the Bible is saying. Often the Bible is, is saying that love and truth, it goes together, amen? When we share with someone the truth, that is the best thing you can do for them. That is how love looks like. And when going through these epistles, it doesn't mean that you only have to listen when you lead a lot of people or when you are a pastor. But each one of us, we, we are leading someone, amen? We have a household, um, we have people at work, um, we have a small group, and some of us, yes, we, we are called to lead a larger group of people. But the day when we said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, we also said that I want to grow in spiritual maturity. Amen? We want to grow in being an evangelist. We want to grow in being a teacher. We want to grow in being an apostle. We want to grow in being a pastor as well and a prophet. So therefore, to really see what these pastoral epistles is saying. Amen? How can we grow in this role of a pastor? also called a shepherd in a sense, né, to, to make sure that the flock is fed well and loved. Amen. And therefore to also, when we understand the role of a pastor or a leader better, we can also follow better. Amen. When we understand what the pastor is supposed to be doing, we can follow better. We can be a better supporter in a sense. And yes, some of us are called, like I said, to, to pastor larger groups of people. But 
the bad news is that the, the Bible is saying that some of us will be led by our flesh and not by our spirit. So therefore, when we understand the roles of a pastor better, we can also discern better. We can discern when there's false teachers, when there's false prophets, when there's people bringing disunity into our church. Amen. And it's happening in all churches. And therefore, we should invest ourselves into see how does it look like, amen, that we can discern these things better. When we read Acts 20 from verse 28, I want to read it for you. It is there on the board. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Really hard words. There will be people bringing twisted things we should be able to discern those things. There's a lot of um, just emphasis placed on sound doctrine also in these pastoral epistles, and we'll, we'll get to that. But the danger of not understanding what the role of a pastor is, that then we are in danger. I mean, we, are not, we cannot discern what's good and what's right. Another danger of not understanding how to apply this, this pastoral heart is that often we take what we know and we want to bring it into the church. And when we do not know the truth, we bring in all kinds of things. Now, let's just, for example, take a great business model. Now, when we take a business model and we bring it into the church, it can bring a lot of destruction. Amen? Because the church is not a business. It's God's people. And therefore, to really understand, as well as these letters give a corporate flavor, but it also gives a personal flavor. It, it, it teaches us how to, 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 to lead our own households well as well. Okay, although it also learns us a lot about how to, to lead the church well, it learns us, it teaches us how to lead our households well and our small groups and etc. So I want to give us three things, the three main topics of what these epistles or these letters focuses on. The first thing is they really stress sound doctrine. Okay, from the start, Paul is urging Timothy about sound doctrine. This is probably the most important. Just to give a, a quick summary of a sound doctrine, it's that Jesus is Lord, He is the King, and that we can't be saved by anything else than through faith in Him. And when we have this faith, it goes over into good works. There's nothing that we can do great to earn that salvation. Amen? Anything that's added to this is not sound doctrine. Okay, they really stress sound doctrine. And then they share much light on church administration, how to lead well, to think of um, what to do with older women? How, what, what should we do to be elders 
in the church? How does counseling look like? What to do with young men and young women? Okay, so there's all these, these kinds of church administration and organization going on as well in these epistles. And then lastly, they demand consecrated living, which asks the question, can someone be doctrinally sound but corrupt in practice? You know, can we know this great gospel but live in a way that is not acceptable? You know, disobedience, whatever it may be. And they ask this question and we're going to look at these things. So these books were designed to guide and aid us in our pastoral responsibilities. So let's dive in. <clears throat> I'm going to start this morning with 1 Timothy 1. And we actually started this series saying, I'm going to do the first seven verses, but we saw that it is so full of content that I'm only going to do the first four verses today, and next week we'll carry on with the next three. But I'm really excited. It's full of a lot of good things. So read with me from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And that's what we're going to do today. <clears throat> so I want to read this again. When we, start, when we start this first verse, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and sometimes it flies over our head, you know, the rest of these verses, because it starts so formal. So I'm going to read it again for us, and maybe explain a thing or two and then we'll dive into it again. So I want you to focus when we read it again. Everything that you can see that maybe points out or stands out for you, yeah, just, just, just see what you can learn from this before we start. So it says Paul. Paul is writing this letter. He's saying, an apostle of Christ, Jesus. And a good question to ask is, why is he saying an apostle of Christ? Now he's, he's writing to Timothy a child in the faith. Why is he saying that he's an apostle? So he's saying an apostle of Christ by command of God. He's saying he's not writing this from his own strength, but this is a command of God. Our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And he's writing to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Then he says grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> and then the content starts. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia. And he's saying, I've urged you this before. But I'm saying this again. Eh? As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. See what he's urging him to do. Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge. This is why. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. What else? Nor to devote themselves to myths 
and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Only four verses, so full. Okay, so let's dive into this. The first two verses has a bit of less content, but I'm going to explain it to you anyways. There's some good things we can learn from this. So it starts in this very common way eh, of Paul addressing himself, saying he's an apostle. <clears throat> and he's saying his name in the beginning, which is interesting because when we write letters, we probably put our names at the end. Eh? So he, he starts off by this because probably they wrote on scrolls and uh, it's easier to see in the beginning who wrote this letter. Eh? So in the beginning, he says, this is me. But this is not an informal letter. Eh? He's saying an apostle of Christ. He's saying, he's giving his title to Timothy, which is also interesting because Timothy is a friend. Timothy is a a child in the faith. Therefore, this is not just an informal letter. He probably knew that this letter would be written to a larger church. And definitely so. We are reading this today. Amen. And Timothy was also um, overseeing and a few churches, not only one in Ephesus. And also he calls attention that this ministry he's busy with is a call of God. It is a command of God. He didn't choose to write this letter and thought this is a great idea. Let me write this letter to Timothy to encourage him, but he really felt that God is leading him to write these things. Okay, like Timothy also says later, All word is God-breathed. This is something that God said. Just to read Acts 13, which which ties into this from verse 2. It says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is the one who says, Paul, you should do these things. The laying on of hands was a recognition of something that God already set in place. And that brings us to a very important point, which already shows something about church organization, and that is that we do not have the ability to ordain. I cannot say you are great. It seems like you have to be a pastor. There you go. You have this great CV. I'm going to appoint you. It will be very reckless. Amen. It won't, it's not something that God said. And we can see from the Bible that God is the one commanding people. Eh? In leadership, yes, but in all kinds of ministries, leading people is important that it is God who calls and not us that's trying to make great decisions. Amen. We often take the Holy Spirit out of the equation. And I'm not saying. That it's not great to have a great CV, that's awesome. And if you can apply yourself to academic learning, that's awesome, and do so. But it's God who calls us. Amen, it's really important. And often we take the Holy Spirit out of the equation and try to do things on our own, and it doesn't end that well. Amen, because James says also, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's only God that knows. Important. To listen. So verse 2. It's only Paul saying, I'm writing this to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace 
from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy was like a son to him, but a spiritual son. He's probably adding the mercy part there because he knows that Timothy has some big things that he needs to do. This we can see from verse 3. He's saying, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. That's interesting because it seems almost as if Timothy did not want to remain. You know, because he's urging him to stay. Why is he urging him to stay? So Paul is here in this 5, from verse 3 to 7, he's, 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 he, have, he has uh, five concerns that he wants us to know about. Okay, and this is the first concern. His first concern is Timothy that needs to stay in Ephesus. The staying power. He's saying, I'm urging you to stay. Why do we think Timothy wanted to leave? Probably we see in 1 Timothy 4, a bit later, that Paul is saying, do not be dismayed by your youth. So already we can see that Timothy is a bit, he's a bit scared, maybe he's a bit timid. And Paul is encouraging him to stay. He's probably the younger pastor there, overseeing a lot of older people. And these people are starting to preach another doctrine. And yeah, Paul is saying, Timothy, stay. This is what God is calling you to do. I mean, he's, he's really encouraging him to remain and to steward what God is saying, to remain at Ephesus. So Paul is basically encouraging him to walk in his purpose. Amen. To walk in what he has been calling him to do. And there's another point we can take from this, is that it's not going to be easy always to walk in your purpose. Often we think that it's going to be great and moonshine and roses when I do what God says, and it's not always so. Okay, but we need to stay obedient because it's the best for us. Amen. The, the best peace you can experience is in the, in the Lord's will. Amen. And Timothy, he was just probably a bit shaken. And Paul knew, knew this. He was his son, eh? his spiritual son. We see in Galatians 6, Paul also encourages us not to become weary of doing good. So it's not a once-off thing. We see this in some other books as well. In Philippians 3, Paul and Timothy write to the church of Philippi, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. I press on. I persevere in this calling that God has given me. Hebrews 10, we knew this. We know this. We speak about it a while ago. It says, we have to encourage one another as the day is drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together, amen, but encouraging one another as the day is drawing near. And um, just to take a moment and think a bit, Paul is here basically keeping Timothy accountable. Who is keeping you accountable? Do you have someone that knows your calling? And even a better question, do you know your calling? Because it's really important to tell someone, this is what I feel God is saying I should do. Please keep me accountable. Encourage one another as the day is drawing near. So what is our calling? 
Often this world, this world teaches us this individualistic type of thinking, you know, I should be the best. And probably the world also teaches us that if things get difficult, you know, leave, leave that job. If it's not for you, leave it. If that, that wife or that husband is not doing it for you, leave it, leave them. It often teaches us that. But not to persevere. Not to obey. And probably Timothy was here thinking about his own comfort in a sense. Amen. Thinking about, yeah, I need to have these difficult discussions with these people. I'd rather leave. Amen. And Paul is saying, no, I urge you to stay. And I want to ask you, what is, what is your calling? What is God urging you to keep on doing? You are maybe neglecting. Maybe you are thinking about leaving this thing completely. But let's think about how do we know our purpose. Maybe you are not sure today what your purpose is. I want to give you a few pointers. The first pointer is start by the general call of Scripture. The general call of Scripture is to flee from evil. Eh? To grow in our spiritual um, for vassanate, eh? our maturity spirit, spiritually. Then to share the gospel with others. And lastly, to commit yourselves to a church. That is the general call of Scripture. When we, we don't do this, it's really important to go, and now you're, you're asking a specific calling God has called you to do, but you, you're struggling to do the general thing. It's really important. God is saying, I'm entrusting you, if you're faithful with a little, I'll entrust you with more. Amen? Start by obeying the general call. And then we discern by the confirmation of others being in the body of Christ. If you are not connected to the body, you can easily miss what God is calling you to do. And lastly, we discern by having a relationship with Jesus, by being intimate with Him. So I want to encourage you to do those things. That's the first things we need to do. For Timothy, the purpose was to oversee these churches, to have these difficult discussions. I mean, to pastor. It's not always, like I said, moonshine and roses. But what is your specific purpose? And when we think of purpose, it's not only to say, what, how can God use me? But rather, how can I just fill in what God is already busy with? How can God use me? You know, understand? How can I fall into his plan? He's already busy with a big plan. And to ask, how can I help God being his hands and feet on earth? And I'm going to give us time at the end to pray with one another. If you are unsure what your, what your calling is, I want to encourage you to speak with someone. I want to encourage you to pray with someone. It's not going to look weird. <laughs> if, you, if you pray with someone at church, it's going to be great. <laughs> okay. So pray with someone. Pray for those things. It is important. That's the only thing that helps. Otherwise, we're going to do this on, out of our own strength and it's going to end the same way. Like Vian also always says, we are not going to wake up one day and be better. We have to really walk in that calling Asking the Lord you know, to guide us. Okay.
So that's the first concern. Okay, the first concern Paul has is that we walk in our callings. It was for Timothy, and he's urging him to stay, to walk in that calling. The second concern Paul has, let's just read a bit further in this verse 3. I'll read it from the beginning again. It says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Okay, that is the second concern. It's people bringing twisted things like we read now from Acts. People not bringing a sound doctrine. Really interesting that this is some of the first things Paul is saying in a pastoral letter. Charge. Not that anyone should not. He's charging Timothy not to, for, to, to go to people that teaches a different doctrine. Okay, that, that's one of the first things he says. And that's one of the, he says it in, in Titus as well. Is the authority and the fidelity of sound doctrine is the most important. We see in Galatians 1, it's not on the board from verse 6. It says, Paul is writing, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is something that happened in the church of Galatians as well. Paul is saying, I cannot understand. I'm shocked that you are choosing a different doctrine. I'm astonished. Another interesting fact, when we look at when Paul wrote these letters, these letters were written at the end. So he wrote these pastoral letters at the end, and we, we saw from now now the introduction that these pastoral epistles is, is quite important. Amen. So why did he write them last? Because he focused on doctrine first. When we turn this thing around, we would probably try to get the church going and then worrying about the doctrine, which is the wrong way around. That's often mistakes that we make as a church. Um, or in churches these days, we see it a lot, that they start this church and, and later on they figure out the doctrine, which is the wrong way around. Okay, We should focus on the doctrine. Church order, church order is not the most fundamental priority, but doctrine is. Sound doctrine and does it mean that we should not carefully then study matters like, you know, who should be elders or how should the structure be of the church or how do we appoint men in leadership? No, we should definitely still look at those things and still look at Scripture. You know, what does Scripture say about these things regarding these matters? But the point is, regardless of these matters, when the Word is consistently and accurately preached, with prayerful dependence upon the Lord and people take it to heart, the church will become alive. Amen. The goal in the end is doctrine. And secondly, obviously, how does it look like in my life? When I know these truths, how does my life look like? When we take this truth to heart, my life will change. And if your life is not changing, we should ask ourselves the question, did we really take this truth to heart? Do I understand 
what the Bible is saying. To have a correct understanding of the gospel. The third concern, it's from verse 4. Let's go to verse 4. It says, and also, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. To devote themselves to myths. And the problem is not so bad that they devote themselves to myths, but they are not devoting themselves to the truth. I mean, when we devote ourselves and, and have biblical goals in mind, we won't spend our time, time on myths and genealogies and speculations. Where is my focus? Have you ever heard people thinking or saying, what do you think about, you know, are there aliens? And I'm thinking, oh, maybe there is. Or whatever it may be, I'm just using a stupid example. But God is saying it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I gave you the truth. It's this thick. You know, understand that thing <laughs> and your life will change. Now you're going on about all kinds of other things which does not matter. Why would people spend time on these things? Why do you think? <laughs> well, I think that the truth is a confrontational thing. Because when I understand this truth, I actually need to change something in my heart. I actually need to repent. And it's confrontational, so rather I'll speak about all kinds of other things. We see this in John 4. Yeah, when the woman at the well comes to Jesus saying, Jesus saying to her, you've had five husbands. And the one that you are with is not your husband. And then she's saying, oh, you are a prophet. You know, our fathers said that we should not worship on this mountain, but you say we should worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, stop, stop, Bachapiki. You know, yeah, we are confronted with the truth. And what, do, what does this woman do? She goes and speaks about all kinds of other things, where we should worship and stuff that is not important. And we tend to shy away and avoid these truths. Jesus is saying you should worship in spirit and in truth. That's what it's about. And secondly, this application of this truth is not that easy always. Okay, now I understand that I need to treat my wife well to apply this to my life. Okay, I need to stop this and I need to stop this and I need to stop this. We tend to avoid these things. Stop it. <laughs> Repent and simply follow Jesus. Apply these truths to your life and your life will change. These are merely distractions, speculations, what does the devil try to do? He's trying to wave a little whistle on this side and we look that side and we just lost focus, lose focus on what's important. I mean, he wants us to simply follow him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And what do we do? We go after myths because we, like, we don't like being confronted. Now, these are merely distractions. It, it won't help your marriage. 
It won't help your spiritual growth. It won't help you overcome sin. It won't give you victory over the flesh. It will just waste your time and your effort. It won't help you fulfill your calling. And the scripture is calling us to make good use of the time. So what are you doing with your time? I want to throw up these prayer points. I want to end for us almost. We're going to use some um, communion. And I want us to think about these points that we made. These points that Timothy is highlighting in four verses. Just imagine what the rest of the Bible is saying. But it stays the same. That Jesus is God and we need to give our lives to him. That's the best for us. Through faith we are saved. So let's go through this, these points. The first one, what is your purpose? What do you have a passion for? Where does God want to use you? If you're not sure, please pray with someone. Secondly, are you consistently seeking sound doctrine? And just remember, also, if you are not seeking sound doctrine, your children won't receive sound doctrine. This is really important. And lastly, are you distracted in some way? Are you, dis- are you in some way distracted by life? Why are you truly seeking relationship with Jesus? When we follow him, all other things will fall into place. You won't believe it, but it's the truth. He really changes our lives.